Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I want this stated for the record. The Bills didn't beat the Lions, okay? The Lions beat the Lions. Do you know how hard the Bills tried to let the Lions win today? I do appreciate it, and that must have been some kind of, uh, uh, you know, give back because the Lions let them use their stadium when all the snow in history went to Buffalo. Uh, so it was very nice of them, but at the end of the day, Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions will not be outdone at their own game, damn it. <laughs> I have absolutely no recourse or leverage over you at all, and it is worsened by the fact that Derek Lalone is a freak like you. And so the only thing I could do today, I was told it'd be cruel and unusual to make you record outside, and the wires don't reach that far anyway. So instead, I just have your spot, and you're sitting in Evan's spot. Which apparently adds 10 pounds. So it's also colder over here. Now I understand why he has a lap pillow. <laughs> I think that's just because he's a diva. Both could be true. Both could be true. It's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. Uh, for those of you north of the border, happy second Thanksgiving because Canadians just enjoy both and it's a fun time for them. And most importantly, well, first of all, I hope everyone has had a safe, happy Thanksgiving uh, with the appropriate amount of conversation at the dinner table, whatever that means for you and your family. I know that varies quite a bit, uh, but maybe second, most importantly, that cutoff period where let's see who's in a playoff position is here. And the Red Wings are not just in a playoff position. The Red Wings are in a divisional seat. What a time to be alive. We have come a long, long way in this rebuild folks. Uh, Brad and I are here uh, rocking this episode together. Evan couldn't make it. Uh, we're keeping him and Catherine uh, in our thoughts. Uh, and we're here to, I know every episode without Evan is a little bit worse for it, but uh, bear with us for this one. It's Thanksgiving. Come on, be nice. But we're here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, whether or not it's crazy to even be talking about playoffs uh, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Brad Crisco. That's good. That's a nice little homage to Evan. Yeah, we gotta we gotta have at least a little bit of Evan here. Like, you know, I'm in my best milk bag pose. We're we're trying. <laughs> yeah, we're trying. You're wearing your milk bag sweater, that kind of thing. Yeah, like yeah. this is my heavy sweater. I like it. I'm cozy. I feel like I'm doing Evan proud. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be recapping the Red Wings three nothing shutout over the Nashville Predators uh, on the back of Huso the Gods' uh, brick wall performance in net. Uh, Ronick stayed hot. Larkin kept producing. Bergren, Bergren got on the board. Uh, everything in between. Uh, we have Max Boltman on this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast. So uh, had a really, really great conversation with him about everything from the Larkin contract to what's going to happen with Bertuzzi to uh, are the playoffs a real possibility for the Red Wings to what's Carter Mazer doing to what's uh, every offseason acquisition? How are they performing? Really insightful and uh, actually some really good information about uh, COP in there as well that I th I'm happy that we we brought to the podcast. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, are we updating our playoff predictions and, and what's going to happen from here. Uh, some NHL news and then we'll jump into overtime. Before we do that, uh, I want to let us know about a couple things. We are a week away, actually technically uh, less than a week away from Hot Stove Stories with Mick and Ken. 
Uh, it is a an event at Motor City Casino on Thursday, December 1st. It's a breakfast event. So registration starts at 7.30 uh, and the event runs from about 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, not only is breakfast served, but you are going to be uh, charmed by Mickey Redmond, Ken Daniels, and NHL legends uh, Chris Draper and Chris Osgood, Aussie, happy 50th, as well as refereeing legends Dan O'Halloran and Wes McCauley. Uh, I'll be there to play host and hopefully talk to the least out of all those guys who are going to tell you uh, some incredible stories. I've been talking a lot with Ken. We have a lot planned, and these are stories, like I've mentioned in the past, that uh, aren't really common knowledge. It's really, really great stuff. There's going to be a Q&A. There's going to be a live auction of some phenomenal items that are live only, but there's also a silent auction happening right now. If you go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org, uh, signed Mo Cider jersey, uh, signed Dylan Larkin game use stick, uh, same thing with Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, if you like other sports or teams, there's a signed Austin Matthews jersey, a signed Mike Tyson glove, uh, experiences, events, golf, uh, outings, gift cards, fantastic one of the best silent auctions i've ever seen so go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to bid on that and get your tickets to the event also at jamiedanielsfoundation.org i want to see you fill that room because every ticket purchased not only gets you the uh, the breakfast and access to uh the nhl hockey legends and all of their stories um at that private breakfast but also uh, it supports the jamie daniels foundation in their fight against substance use disorder so again jamiedanielsfoundation.org uh, and for those of you who like a little bit of bonus content and like to hear from Mick and Ken, we've posted our uh, Wing Wheel podcast night at the LCA replay. So the live show that we record before the event from October 29th, we posted it as a bonus episode. And before that, there are actually some special announcements about uh, some news for the show, some uh, events for us, as well as uh, encouraging you again to go to Hot Stove Stories. So Thursday, December 1st, I hope to see you all there and uh, check out the bonus episode wherever you get your podcasts as well. The Red Wings. 3 nothing over the Nashville Predators, which, you know, based on the Red Wings this season, isn't uh, a surprising turnout. And it's not crazy that they have three straight wins. It's not even the first time this season that they've done that. But that was some kind of performance from Vili Husso. In a year where Vili Husso has cemented himself fewer than 20 games in already as the Red Wings starter, that probably, in my mind, is his best performance so far just lights out that was a quality shutout 26 saves and i would say half of them were at least pretty difficult saves that might be dramatic but holy who so he had more than a handful of 10 bell saves which was obviously fun as hell to see but interesting too because we've talked this year about how Huso's the technically sound not the most athletic goalie in the world but he's always in the right spot so he doesn't have to make those you know, kind of east to west diving crazy saves. He made two of those on the same PK. When the Red Wings had that prolonged five on three against them, he had two saves where he had to go post to post in a hurry. Yeah. And, you know, that was probably the biggest momentum swing in the game was that that penalty kill. Because, you know, that was right around when Larkin scored and then Hironic scores not long after Larkin and then the Red Wings... This is kind of the inverse of a typical Red Wings game years past where, you know, obviously Huso is the big story because every chance Nashville got, he he was there. But the first period wasn't what you would call a barn burner. No. But then once the Red Wings got the lead, they played better. They started controlling the game. They didn't they weren't the team that curled up in a shell. They were getting outshot when they were 
losing two nothing or winning two nothing. Sorry, but then at the end of the game, they ended up out shooting Nashville. When was the last time you can remember the Red Wings doing that? The pace of the game was so frantic. I actually, for the first part of the game, was able to watch and listen, but not really like tweet or cover or anything. And so um, there were some plays that I, from the first and second periods that I want to go back and really watch uh, the five one three penalty kill. The massive penalty kill that Detroit had uh, on the backs of Husso and, and Dylan Larkin. And I was trying to, but the third period was such intense play. Almost no whistles, just like end-to-end, high energy. The crowd was on fire. It was, yeah, that game really ramped up, and the Red Wings did with it. I think not a perfect game, technically speaking, but entertaining, and the result was there. Yeah, a thousand percent. You know, coming off a uh a prolonged rest period after the road trip, you would hope to see the Red Wings get stronger as the game goes on. And as the pace picks up, the Red Wings were are able to match it. And that's exactly what happened. It's, again, not been a calling card of this team. The calling card of this team has been quite the opposite, actually, over the years. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's easy to say that the goalie won you the game because the goalie pitched a shutout and made a ton of crazy saves. But in hockey, in games like this, the team feeds off performances like that. They every every single player on the bench is acutely aware of what Vili Husso's doing, what Vili Husso's in last night, and what his performance is doing for the team that night. And all it does is fire them up. People think, oh, the goalie's having a great game. Sometimes the players might take the foot off the gas because, you know, Tendy's got it, boys. We don't need to worry about it. No, the opposite usually happens. Tendy's in one tonight. Let's you go to get, hell and back to help him out. You better get him the win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's a funny thing. It comes up often when you talk about, like, maybe the blind spot of analytics or when folks only read stats and they don't really understand. Because the assumption from a lot of people is, well, I certainly hope people, I hope these players are giving 100% every shift. And the reality is they're not. They might give 100% of what's reasonable and they might give, you know, 100% relative to everyone else, everyone else, but there is always that extra little bit that you can squeeze out, stretch yourself to the point where you might pull that muscle, block a shot that you otherwise wouldn't skate until you feel like you're going to pull a hammy. That's the, the kind of thing that's really hard to quantify and describe and articulate really, but you know, you know, when you see it. And the funny thing is, as a player, you can't just turn that on. There's something happens. Like the, the game is super high energy. You're fired up, you're pissed off, or your goalie, like you said, is in one. And you're like, this guy absolutely has to walk away with a W. That was a, a crazy high intensity game. Unreal shutout for Vili Husso, who has been absolutely phenomenal. And you know, we're about to talk about playoffs today. So I, I think it's uh it's important that we stay reasonable, especially talking about the Red Wings. Um it's, it's scratches out Billy who snows Vesna. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Like, <laughs> let's stay reasonable. Let let's keep our heads on straight. You know, we're here for some rationality. It's okay to be excited. And at one point, do we say Billy Husso is absolutely a Vesna candidate? <laughs> but honestly, I, I if Billy Husso you know regresses and plays three quarters as well as he is right now, that is still a fantastic season for him for the rest of the year. Yeah, he's 
pitching what nine twenty two right now, and that's even with that um, debacle against New York. Yeah, nine twenty two. At one point, he was in like the nine forties, which obviously I think it was the New York game that that did that. I think if you take someone said if you take that game out, he's almost at like a nine forty five, which you know everybody has an off night, but that's the nature of goaltending. But you know, we knew what the Red Wings more or less were going to be this year, and to this point in the season. I think they're about what most of us were expecting, you know, like not counting goaltending. They struggled to score a little bit. The defense has definitely improved, but you know, how is the goaltending going to hold up? You know, Nadalkovich had a rough year. Huso had a great year, but he's very unproven in the league. And that was the great wild card of the team. Well, here we are, not even in December, Vili Huso cemented himself as the number one with phenomenal numbers. And the Red Wings are holding down a divisional seed because of it. If, if, capital I-F, if, the Red Wings make the playoffs, Huso's going to get votes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A thousand percent he's going to get votes. So, Huso and Derek Lalone, I yeah, should say. Yeah. If the entire season plays out pretty close to what the first two months have, or month and a half, whatever it's been, they're getting votes. Because this team is ahead of where every reasonable person thought they would be. And if you're sitting here and going, no, this is exactly what I thought, you did not have them ahead of Tampa Bay. Shut up, you liar. (laughs) But yeah, so it's a good story. And based purely on his performance, Huso should be in the conversation. Now, the one thing a lot of us uh, as fans, us as podcasters included, we tend to get tunnel visioned. What? There's a lot of tremendous goaltending performances going around the NHL right now. Connor Hellebuck is got to be the favorite right now. Linus and Allmark in Boston has been absolutely spectacular. Sorokin on the island. There's there's a lot of Vesna candidates right now. So just because Huso's great doesn't mean he has been the best. Doesn't He probably isn't a finalist if the voting goes down today just because there's been that many strong candidates. But the important takeaway here He's not far behind. He's right there. I do appreciate you, Brad. And I don't say that often because I brought that up mostly as a joke. Uh, But you laid out, I think, a a rational point, but a really good point is if this does, and don't expect it to, but if this does continue on a path where the unthinkable happens, then yeah, Vili Huso will be the face of that. Let's talk about the game, first of all. Uh, Red Wings open scoring in the second period. Like you said, it took a little while for the the game to ramp. For how entertaining that game was, it's very easy to forget get how forgettable that first period yeah. was. Uh, uh, Perron and Larkin both did excellent work in forcing turnovers and hustling. Uh, and Larkin f- streaked down the left side after taking a feed from Perron, uh, had to win it from a, a, de- a Nashville defender and fantastic shot with a new stick, Brad? Yeah, so that was the first time I had noticed it. Someone said he's had a couple games with it now, but because he's been juggling the FT4 and the Hyperlight for right. all of last year. Same. And most of this year, and then, yeah, all of a sudden he's using a Nexus sink out of nowhere. And, uh, Looks hey, good. it seems to be working. Fired home is ninth of the season. Uh, Philip Ronick on the power play. There was a scramble in front off of a Berggren shot. Puck eventually came back out to Berggren on the right wall over to Ronick, who stayed red hot. Red hot. And I apologize. That should have been the title of the last <laughs> episode. That's what happens when we record too late. My brain is absolutely out to out to lunch, out to dinner, out to a late night snack. 
completely missed. That's not on Brad or Evan. That's totally me. But Hronik, that point shot, which we have wanted to see for years, which is which was the calling card of when he initially came onto the scene, was absolutely perfect. Uh, it might have been tipped or it might have hit off a of goalie's glove regardless. Uh, Berggren, Hronik on the power play, and then the Red Wings hung on to that off the backs of a unreal 5-on-3 penalty kill. Uh, Huso, like we mentioned, outstanding. So many different uh, instances of that. Uh, Michael Rasmussen ended up bearing the empty netter, and it was a 3 nothing win. Also saw a big uh, heavy hit from Moe Sider, too. That was, it was Granlund, right? Mikhail Granlund. Yeah, yeah, he was in some pain. It didn't look that heavy, but then you saw him on the bench. You're like, oh, yeah, that would have killed uh, a man mine or your size. Granlund's not far off our size. So no. That, yeah. that poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> hit. I watched it and I'm like, that is a, uh, that's a big momentum shift for someone smaller. Like it, it must be like hitting a redwood. He, he was in some discomfort. Uh, so that's the Red Wings. Why don't we do our take on the playoff conversation now though, Brad? Because as of right now, the Red Wings are sitting in the third seed in the Atlantic. 24 points, 19 games, a 632 points percentage. And it's tight, right? Like you go down all the way down to Montreal, who is... Uh, three spots out of the wild card in Detroit's division, and they are only three points back. Different games played, but still, it is a very, very tight affair. The Atlantic is a strong division this year, um, but that's that's Detroit at the Thanksgiving cutoff. Not counting the funky seasons that we've had recently, about seventy-five percent of the teams that are in playoff spots as of today end up making the postseason. So the question is. Take where the De- what Detroit has done, without Tyler Bertuzzi for a lot of it, without uh, Jacob Verana for most of it, um, and a lineup that really, by all rights, wouldn't have done this in, in a lot of people's minds or simulations. They got twenty four points on the board, and then take the counterpoint, which is Derek Lalonde himself will tell you, "Hey, this team is overperforming and getting a lot of good results, which they worked hard for." But you know. There is a lot of underlying analysis that suggests that this isn't sustainable over an 82-game season. Is Detroit in the 75% of those who make the playoffs or the 25% who end up falling out and missing the playoffs? The 25%. As much as I don't want to admit it, they're the two gigantic red flags that are impossible to ignore are exactly what Lalone said. The actual metrics... Underlying numbers are not good. They're not, they're not bad. Like the Red Wings aren't like the 25th best, like five on five team this year. No, they're, they're hanging around the fringes, but not in with the playoff crowd. Um, and their schedule, they, they have had one of the softer schedules in the NHL so far. And Hey, you can only play your schedule and the Red Wings have played it well and they deserve everything they've got to this point. So I'm not taking anything away from what the Red Wings have done. This is not to say the Red Wings have been lucky. This is not to say the Red Wings don't deserve the wins they have. And this isn't to say the Red Wings should not be sitting third in the Atlantic right now. They earned all of those things because even though they're five on five metrics, which again is generally a red flag, aren't great. Their special teams have been good and their goaltending has been phenomenal. If you can keep up the good special teams and the phenomenal goaltending all year, that masks a lot of problems the problem is history says those are two things that generally don't hold up over 82 games 
when everything else isn't at the same level. So, you know, obviously we've seen them play to this level so far this year. So theoretically it's possible they're in the 75% and they make the playoffs. If they were in the West, I'd almost argue, yeah, I think they are going to make the playoffs because, but the East is just so much better. Anybody who is sitting here right now with full confidence that Tampa and Florida are not going to pass Detroit this year. Bravo for your optimism. The real world is going to crush you. I think there's a chance. There's always teams that underperform surprising ones. We talk about them in the NHL every year. And then that's a storyline for that team for the next three. There's a chance it could be either one of the Florida teams. You there's the, what we've been trying to pin against the lightning for how many years now they're going to get, they got to run out of legs. Eventually this might be it. Uh, Florida, they had some major shakeups to their roster. Um, goaltending is a question depending on how much you believe in Spencer Knight over a full season and, and which Bobrovsky you're going to get. Well, Florida's fascinating because Spencer Knight's having a great season and Bobrovsky's not. But yeah. Bobrovsky's, Bobrovsky's getting most of the games right now. Because they're paying him so much money. I know. <laughs> so I, I actually don't think it's crazy to bank on one of them falling off. But it's the the issue here is that you... You need one of those two very strong teams to fall off. Everyone else to kind of stay out of the way and for Detroit to keep. Detroit, I don't want to say has maximized. They've lost points that they shouldn't have, I think, but that's any team. You're never going to have a perfect season. that's hockey. Detroit, relative to expectations, has come close to this is the best they could have asked for. Some stats here from our our good friend Prashanth Iyer. Uh, at 10, 5, and 4, 24 points, the Wings have recorded their most points in the first quarter of the season since 2014-2015. The Wings recorded their third shutout of the season in Game 19 this year. In the previous three seasons, 209 games, the Wings had a total of six shutouts. This is a vastly improved Red Wings team. It's not a surprise on paper, and it's not a surprise for anyone who's watched a second of any game. But... How sustainable is this? So you need a really great team to suck, at least one. You need all. No, you need multiple because let's not forget. Even if one of Tampa or Florida falls off, you're fighting with half the Metro for two wild card spots. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, you need a, you need one great team to suck, and then you need everyone else in your mix to end up more or less below you. And you need to keep overperforming. And like we mentioned, it was really great all that uh, that nice stuff we said about Vili Huso, right? Ideally, if you're a team making the playoffs, it's not 90% of your conversations about the goalie because then it's like, hey, your goalie was on a heater all year slash is a fantastic netminder and carried carried you there. Um, so ultimately what I'm saying is I agree with you, Brad. If, if any one of a few different things were different, if the East wasn't so strong, if the standings weren't so tight in the East... Uh, if the teams below Detroit weren't such powerhouses, especially on paper, who are likely to turn it around, I, I would probably have more optimism. Um, but what I will say is, I think I'm going to be dead wrong in terms of how late into the season the Red Wings are playing competitive games. That I'm willing to change my mind on now based on what we've seen. Yeah, because I, I think, did our our preseason predictions went the same as last year, right? Where I, I was on the more optimistic side again. It was Evan, me, then you from least to most optimistic. Yeah. And once again, I had them, I think, ahead of Buffalo and Ottawa, who those two teams have proven to have not taken the step that Detroit did this year, which, you know, from a 
long-term competitive sense in this division is a fantastic sign for the Red Wings for the next five to ten years. I'm shocked that not at least one of them isn't doing what Detroit's doing now. Yeah, I am too. At least one of them, um, especially with how good Buffalo looked earlier in the year. But either way, I digress. It's a great problem for um, Detroit, even with Montreal massively outperforming their own expectations right now, because that just seems to be the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah. You know, I I think the Red Wings are going to be playing meaningful games into April at this point. I I don't think they're going to be out of it. Again, I don't think they get in, but when I say that, I... I'm thinking they're going to probably finish ninth or 10th in the East. I don't see Washington is so injured. I don't know if they're going to be a factor in the Metro. Columbus is essentially out of it already. Philly, they're not going to hold on to what they are. So there's five teams in the Metro right now that look like they're going to compete for playoff spots. And depending on how much you believe in Montreal, there's, which I'm going to say is nobody, there's five teams competing for playoff spots in the Atlantic. So that's 10 teams. So the mat, that's, you know, 80% of those teams are going to make the playoffs. So that tracks with about the 75-25. Who are the two teams of those 10 that you don't think are going to make it? I think the Red Wings are a strong candidate to be one of those two teams. Because again, I'm just not at the point to bet against Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Boston. I think in the Metro, Carolina's a lock. I have a hard time believing the Rangers are going to fall out. Pittsburgh looks like they've righted the ship. I think the Islanders are probably more so towards frauds than than contenders. And um, I would bet the Islanders. And New Jersey's out. are New Jersey's definitely legit. So you have to either take out one of the Atlantic teams, which again I would say is highly unlikely, or two of the Islanders, Penguins, and Rangers. And I also don't think that's likely. Again, not impossible. Like they are very much in this, but you know, taking off the Red Wings colored glasses, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to hate any of those teams as well. I I would guess so you said April, and this is where you and I differ. There's seven games in April. I don't think the Red Wings are gonna be truly competitive. Maybe mathematically they won't be out. I think by you know I'll say they're within five points going in on April first. So the delicate thing here is the trade deadline is Friday, March 3rd. Yep. Not that Eisenman is in the business of just shipping out every player that he got that's performing well. Like in previous years, we would have been like, oh my God, trade Kubelik for every first round pick ever. Or, oh my God, Philip Peronik is playing his best hockey ever. Trade him now while he's young and cost controlled and plays at a, a positional premium. And that might still be the answer. I don't want to say you you take those things off the table just because the Red Wings are playing well. But it's very hard to justify an automatic response to that effect anymore, right? You have to take into consideration how competitive is this team. Steve Eisenman made a lot of moves and they weren't, you know, tricky moves or it's like, we're going to make them competitive now and then take half a step back later and then blah, blah, blah. You know, those opportunities might come up for the right price, but no, Eisenman wants this team to play better hockey. You only have to watch that clip of Steve Eisenman grinding through his teeth in the press box or uh, in, in the management box uh, against that uh, Arizona last season when the Red Wings took that thumping from them to know that he cares about this team playing really good hockey and and not going out there and being a disaster and imploding. So there's a delicate act here. And uh, again, this is filed under good problems to have, which seems to be the theme of the season. It's not an easy calculation anymore. The calculus gets difficult. And Max in our interviews, you're going to hear him say something similar. 
the calculus isn't so automatic anymore. And this is where good GMs and great GMs really uh, discern themselves and separate themselves because it's a, it's a delicate act. Eiserman is not going to get everything right. Not every GM is going to get everything right here. Uh, and the timing on stuff, it, like you're going to have to choose to to walk away from some pretty good offers for these players in terms of you know draft picks that are offered or whatever it might be. Because Eiserman might agree with you, Brad. He might say, yeah, I think we're going to be within five points in April. And I don't think this is a playoff team on paper, but shit, I'm not going to uh, jump away from a chance to get there. I, I, I'm pretty firm. Like I'm still pretty confident that they're not going to be a playoff team. But like you said, December, and we said last episode, and, and Evan was a big proponent of this as well, December is a big, big month. Vegas, Tampa, Florida, Dallas, Carolina, Minnesota. If at December 15th we're still having this conversation, then I think the needle genuinely moves. But at, by then, Eisman will have a better picture, and then, yeah, it's it's a it's a mushy middle. Like, how long do you hang on to this, and do you see it through all the way to the end, or do you take stock of what you have and say, Let's let's capitalize on some really good performances. Yeah, and you know, obviously that's going to be well ahead of that March third deadline, which is critical because. And I think I mentioned this last episode. I think the Red Wings have to be past the point of being true sellers at the deadline. Almost no matter how this season plays out, like it would have to go really off the rails to approach this trade deadline, like previous trade deadlines. Yeah. Now that's not to say they can't sell and they shouldn't sell. It's going to have to be really targeted. I think the example I used last time was Tyler Bertuzzi. He is way too valuable to let walk for nothing. So you either need to be well into a playoff spot that you are definitively going to make it, so that, yeah, even if you lose him for nothing, hey, he might help steal you a playoff round. Yeah. Or you you have to get a haul back for him because you have to, like, for the betterment of the team. Because, you know, if you're in a second wildcard spot and you're about to lose a first-line winger for nothing, what's more valuable to this team? A five-game playoff loss in the first round? Best-case scenario? Or getting, you know, a good prospect and a first round pick back for a good player that's going to help you for the next 10 years. Like you have to make that trade. Are you trading Philip Peronik? No. Are you trading Robbie Fabry who's under control? No. Are you moving players who have any contract control? No. But if there's a valuable pending unrestricted free agent and you're not firmly in a playoff spot, you have to. But I think I think that's the only circumstance where the Red Wings, you know, quote unquote, punt this season or become sellers yeah or yeah i mean the numbers don't lie puck don't lie ball don't lie whatever you want to say so if the red wings continue to be on average the five on five team they have been you know the special team slumps will come and go uh and then that's how the regression to the mean is going to come or whoso isn't going to be an absolutely you know absolute demigod every night in net uh and that's how the regression is going to come in if it is um, it's not perfect. I know 82 games is a lot, but it's also not enough to, ex- you're going to still get some weird results over the course of the season, which is why we're even having a whole segment about are the playoffs possible? Cause you have to respect what the Red Wings have done, but yeah, if they do regress, that's how it's going to come up. Before that, I want to let you know that this episode of the winged wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. 
Using NordVPN in a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with your 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. Okay, more on that from Max Boltman, our good friend from The Athletic Detroit. Uh, always happy to have him on. Uh, the Red Wings offseason acquisitions, Carter Mazur, playoffs, Larkin's contract, Bertuzzi's contract, everything. It was a really great conversation, and we could have gone for hours. But uh, without further ado, tune into this uh, segment with Max Boltman. Max, we're going to have to do these more regularly. One, because you know the listeners love it, and it's great to have you on, all that fun stuff. But more uh, because I need these uh, sessions of catharsis complaining about the wedding industrial complex and how we're being fleeced yep. for every last dollar we have. I think we should just start a separate podcast about the horrors of planning a wedding in 2022. I think you got that all wrong. I think we need to start our own wedding planning business to make some of our money back. <laughs> You're right. Actually, that is the move here. I don't know what I'm talking about. This is why, yeah, this is why I'm stuck in journalism, a dying field. <laughs> I don't have the enterprising mind just to see the bigger picture. <laughs> Hey, I'm paying the exact same things you are, so I'm just as much the sucker. It's it's our better halves who are the winners here. Well, losers because they're married losers, us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, here to talk to us about the Detroit Red Wings, Max Boltman of the Athletic Detroit. Max, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Other than uh, the aforementioned, we just got back from a tasting, so it was actually it was really good food. So that part was great. But uh, yeah, you know, in, in a little bit of uh, sticker shock too. So. Yeah, that's how they get you. They pamper you, and then you're out the door before you realize how much you paid. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, speaking of how much someone paid, uh, I think we have a lot of really good stuff to talk about today. And by the time people are listening to this, you'll have had a piece out about uh, Steve Eiserman's offseason signings, the big transformation that the roster underwent uh, over the uh, offseason before this year. And uh, you cover quite a bit of, well, content in there because Eisman did quite a bit. So uh, walk us through maybe some of the highlights without spoiling all the good stuff because we want people to read it. Yeah, I mean, probably, uh, I mean, the, the basically the overview is, remember in the offseason, you know, the, the Red Wings were proclaimed, at least by our site, uh, Dom Lushizen did his uh, rankings of the best offseasons, most improved teams, Red Wings are number one. So, you know, we're six weeks into that, uh, close to a quarter of the season. Uh, and I wanted to kind of check in on, on how that's, you know, gone. I think even just anecdotally, people would know gut feeling off the top of their head that the Red Wings additions have made a, a positive impact, obviously. I think, you know, you think about Dominic Kubalik's probably been the best signing in the NHL. I mean, maybe Claude Giroux uh, in Ottawa could could stake a claim for that. But certainly, in terms of cost effectiveness, right? Like Dominic Kubalik's top 30 in the NHL in, in scoring. Yeah. They got him for $2.5 million on a two-year deal. Uh, David Perron, I think, just continues to be better and better the last week 
in particular, it just feels like his impact has been all over the game. And, and I'm sure you guys have talked about, uh, Ole Mata and, and the way he's helped, uh, Philip Heronic find really probably the best we've ever seen Philip Heronic, uh, at least if that's what it feels like uh, over these first six weeks, in addition to obviously Billy Huso. So, um, some really good signings in there. I, I certainly get into like, I know there's been a lot of talk about like Andrew Kopp and, um, I don't know if, if, uh, they aired this. I know sometimes they stream the press conferences. I thought Derek Lalone had a really interesting, um, answer about cop. I, I asked him on Tuesday, kind of, how do you assess Andrew Kopp's season so far? And, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're taping this Tuesday night. He only had, uh, so I don't know what's going to happen on Wednesday's game as I say this, but, um, one goal through 18 games. But he had a really interesting comment kind of harkening back to Steven Stamkos when he went through a core muscle surgery. And he pretty much said, you know, in Tampa, we didn't know if that was the end of Steven Stamkos. Like it took him like nine months to look the same again. And he said the nine months, nine months after he looked like he's 22 again. And I thought that was really good context to understanding what cop maybe is battling through to get back to, um, where whatever he feels comfortable. We haven't talked to, to cop a ton specifically about that. Um, and, and I would like to now after hearing Lalone say that, but I thought that was a really good piece of context to kind of understanding, um, cop. And, and that's obviously one of the more important ones. I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to make you sit here and listen to me basically read my own article, but, uh, <laughs> I think it's interesting because he, that's the longest deal Iserman's given out. And I think, um, that's probably why the reaction has been as, as intense as it has to, to his start. But, um, yeah, so just kind of a lot of dialogue about that and, and what it means. How, how does all these pieces look, uh, you know, a quarter of one season in and, and also how are things shaping up long term? I mean, there's guys like Mata and maybe even Kubalik that I think there's fair discussion to be had about, do you want to do another contract, you know, sooner than later with these guys? It's funny about Andrew Kopp is obviously we noticed a lot of the same things that you mentioned, which is, you know, people are really getting on his case and credit to to those who are maybe detracting from his start to the season you know you remove the injury context which i know is a big statement but him and sharat were given money in term and yeah. they were expected to perform right away so i think that's fair but yeah i think maybe there's been a little bit of minimization of of the core muscle surgery and what that means for a player like we look at his face-off percentage which is through the floor based on his career averages and he's shooting i think you mentioned before we were taping at half of what he usually does in right. terms of efficiency so and not shooting nearly as much. I mean, like the the shooting percentage maybe just tells you like, okay, regression due. But I think he's only averaging one shot on goal per game. Like, you know, that's not enough really. Like he probably needs to be shooting more. Now, is that a comfort level thing? It's a fair question. You bring up the face-offs. We were talking about this in our group chat the other day with Prashanth. Like the guy was – you could set your watch to him being a 53% face-off winner in Winnipeg. And face-offs do not strike me as a skill that you just wake up one day – and it's been drained from you, right? So um, now part of that is it like we've? I'm sure you guys have talked about it. I've, I've written a little bit about it. Sean Shapiro had a great piece about it. Um, the the way that not having a right handed center is probably hurting all of the Red Wings centers. I don't even think that is enough to explain going from you know a 53 percent faceoff guy to I I haven't checked it after the last couple of games, but he was hovering around like 44 percent for a while there. I'm trying to pull it up. Right now, quickly as we talk, 43% right now. He, he didn't lose, you know, basically a fifth of his faceoff talent, uh, overnight, but it's possible that the injury has, uh, played a, a role into that. You also mentioned, uh, Philip Ronick and 
what an interesting turnaround. Uh, yeah. I, I personally was, you know, I wasn't a fire heroic into the sun kind of person, but I was also thinking, I think maybe the flash that we saw at the start of his career coming into, you know, being a full-time Red Wing was probably not achievable or, or expectations were too high. I, to put it simply, I never thought he'd get to this level again. And this is a player who there were strong suggestions that the Red Wings were trying to find a buyer to pay basically a what a Philip Perona could be priced in a trade in the past. And now we're seeing glimpses of this is what Philip Perona could be once again. So what do you make of that transformation? Well, first of all, I think you got to start with the mustache. Uh, got to be the best mustache in the league right now. <laughs> One would think I actually told him today in the locker room. I, I told him, you know, you can't shave it now. And he was like, why? And I was like, because of how good things have been going for you. And he was like, oh, I'm not superstitious. So you could see the mustache vanish, I guess. It, I think it would be a waste of a great handlebar mustache. But That's right. um, yeah, he looks great. And I think, you know, I, I think he deserves, like first and foremost, he deserves credit for that. But I think the pairing with Oli Mata has enabled him to to really tap into certain parts of his game offensively. You know, you look at the two goals he scored the other night creeping down into the play and, and, and he's, we've always known Philip Pronick has had a good shot. No, that's never been a question. It's probably maybe his best attribute. Um, but being able to jump into the play like that and, and take a little bit of risk there is good because you have, and, and you know, he can do it because you have Olimata back there. Olimata also plays a really, uh, simple game. And I, I think Olimata, um, the, the word that Lalone likes to use that I, when he first started using it, I, I kind of was like, is that really a compliment? But predictable. And when I heard it, I was like, do you want to be predictable? But I, I now kind of understand what he means. Like predictable to your own teammates. You're, you're not oh, yeah. ever out of the loop on what, you know, you're going to get from him when you're on the ice with him. I, I was thinking of it like, yeah, why would I want to be predictable? But thinking of that kind of as like a, from an opposing right perspective. Yeah. But I think the more I hear it, I completely get what he means. And I think that that, that's a huge benefit when you have, you know, offensively inclined defensemen like Heronic. Speaking of predictable. Are we seeing, and I, I know you did a lot of advocacy for Danny DeKaiser last year, so you get a little victory lap here, but are we seeing Mo Sider, you know, potentially wanting the same thing? Like I, I a predictable defenseman, uh, a, a partner was maybe more beneficial to his game. Not to say Sherrod's been bad or that they've been bad every game, but they've struggled at times, especially defensively in, in Sider who had big, big expectations coming in. How much has yeah. the unpredictability of Sherrod factored into that? Totally. I mean, and, and and I don't think it's like a Sherratt's fault thing necessarily. Like, I think we've seen Cider take more risk this year than we saw last year, which maybe that's like a he's more confident in year two. Maybe that's he's trying to, um, you know, take another step kind of thing. Um, or maybe who knows, right? But we also now see him with a partner who freelances a little bit too. And, and Sherratt's just so much better a skater than Dana DeKaiser. Like that's obvious, right? Um, but that's what Jeff Blashley used to always say. And people would get mad at me for repeating it. But DeKaiser did make certain mistakes go away because they never were allowed to spiral because he was right there at the, you know, to, to kind of dispel or not to dispel, diffuse the, the situation, right? Um, I think you're, you are seeing that a little bit. Now, I do think Ben Sherratt's a better player than Danny DeKaiser. Like, don't get me wrong. He, I think, I mean, I, I almost think that's inarguable, right? That what he brings to the mobility, the physicality, the net, clearing the net, all that stuff. Um, I think it's, it's an improvement, but the fit does look different. Um, 
and I think you see that in their numbers, like both of them, I think that the two of them each are like 43% expected goal share. That's not what you're looking for out of your top defense pair. Um, and it's why, you know, Mata and Hironik have started to get some of the tougher matchups, I think, recently. Um, I don't think it's going to stay that way forever. But um, yeah, I think that's possible. Now, in the end, I, I don't know that you need to like split them up either necessarily. You could, but I think it's probably just going to be maybe a process of figuring out how they balance that, right? Is that fair? Yeah, I, last episode we talked about it, and and I I mentioned how I was kind of of a changing mind about that, and then I realized Sider's still a kid in this league, and right. he's even though he was a Calder winning defenseman, he is still learning a position that is very much a thinking game. So he will probably be the key to unlocking this pairing, which is how to adapt his game without losing his you know uh, key positive impacts, but change based on who his linemate is, and, and that's probably what has to happen here in my mind, and I think he can. I think I agree too, just because you think about, I mean, you could try Wallman there and I, I think Sider and Wallman maybe even played a little together last year and it looked okay. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to run into a similar thing, right? Like Wallman, he, you, he's a guy that you want to be able to freelance a little bit also and, and not be afraid to creep down and use his shot or, or his legs, which is his best asset. So, and, and eventually whenever Edvinson is there, I think it's probably going to be the same for him too, right? Like at the end of the day, it's, it's not like, Sorry, Moritz, uh, everyone else gets to freelance except you. Not at all. It's just the two defensemen, whoever is that pair, will have to get into a groove of like making sure that they know who's going to try what win and what that means for them. And it's going to be mutual. I don't think it's all going to be on one or all on the other. Do you agree? I mean, is that is that fair? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also important to note, again, we're recording this after uh, two games ago, Sider scored his first goal and it looks like things opened up for a little bit. Uh, a little bit for him, and then the whole team dominated Columbus. A depleted team, but the, it was a win they should have had, and they made the most of it And uh, before Nashville. So naturally, Max, there will be 45 storylines from the Nashville game that we're not going to talk about in this interview because we were dumb enough to pre-record. Well, let me squeeze this in then just just to uh, – because before it gets completely trampled, but I was talking to Perron the other day, and he – you know, the, the cider pass between the legs that, that set up the one goal. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the – was it the Larkin goal? Or? The Larkin goal, yeah. Yeah. And, and Perron was even like – I mean, that's one of those plays you're just like, oh, my gosh. Like, he, you know, you could tell it like stood out to him too. And I, I think it's – that's one of the most like amazing things to me is like NHL players are so good at what they do that like – you know, Perron's a very good NHL player, but even a like middling or or lower end NHL player is like top one tenth of one percent of all hockey players in the world. And the fact that they can still be wowed by something that like one of their teammates does, uh, I just think that's a really cool, cool thing. So I, I, I enjoyed seeing kind of hearing Perron kind of be like, wow, about that. Yeah, from one of the most... Um imposing in terms of what he can do from that spot players on the left wall in the power play to say that but receiving yeah. a pass from that spot like that is high praise totally and he's played with some pretty dang good defensemen over the years too by the yes, way he absolutely has uh let's jump to the forwards here and uh, i want to talk about the conversation that you know has been going on on twitter the group chat everywhere which is this dylan larkin thing i don't think anyone reasonable ever would have thought it but it's not a fluke and for the last season plus, he's been playing like a guy who's not just a number one center in the NHL. Uh, he's been playing like, you know, the upper half of number one centers in the NHL, which us on this podcast have used to say Dylan Larkin is the Red Wings number one center and a number two center on a very good team. But even that's becoming disputed at this point. All that packaged with he doesn't have a contract yet. So it's a it's a good problem to have, but it's still a, it's a big uh, uh, elephant in the room for the Red Wings. 
It's a good problem to have as long as you have him, right? And that's, I think, where where the problem lies is like, you know, I, I wrote it, uh, I don't know if it was in camp or whatever, earlier this year, whenever the Barzal deal came down, it was like, look, if there was ever a time that you thought that you were going to get Dylan Larkin on on the cheap, it seems like that time is slipping away. And unless he comes back down to earth, you're right, it does get tougher and tougher to see like the price not just going up. Um, I would imagine that Steve Eiserman is going to draw heavily. Second time we've referenced Steven Stamkos here. We're 15 minutes in, Ryan. Uh, that Steve Eiserman is going to draw heavily on his experience with Steven Stamkos. Um, when Steven Stamkos went to the 11th hour in Tampa Bay, ends up taking a hometown deal. I got to think Eiserman is drawing on that experience and just thinking, all right, well, I know what I want to pay this guy or what I can pay this guy or what he feels like he can pay this guy. Um, and I'll wait as long as it takes. I got to be honest, I question doing that with a guy who's as important to your team at a position that is as hard to replace as center and as Dylan Larkin. But I would have said the same thing about Steven Samkos. So fair enough, right? But man, this is just, it's just going to be a huge storyline up, up until July 1. Yeah. So naturally on like December 13th or something at 2 a.m., <laughs> it's going to drop, just casually get done at like 8.75 times eight and everyone's going to leave happy. But is that the one that adds up to 71 million? No, I, it was just a random number. You know, there's one I saw. I saw somebody on like Reddit or something was saying like eight times 8.75 adds up. Oh, to yeah. 71 million. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like, well, I could see that. I mean, that seems like it's in the ballpark of what could reasonably qualify as a little bit of a hometown discount relative to Barzell and still a big number, still a you know number he's got a connection to. You want to know something I think screwed the Red Wings here a little bit more than uh, people are giving it credit for? Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, going on record. I know. A potential $4 million jump this year. You have, oh, CAA must have, they must have popped bottles that day in their offices. Well, because Elliot Friedman had already reported, you know, kind of the like, and he, he did it with all the caveats, right? Like Elliot's such a good pro, one of the best hockey writers in the world and and all the caveats, this can change all the stuff, but this is what it could look like. And then a week later, Bettman's like, oh yeah, send it. <laughs> and, and I mean, at that point, it gets to be a difficult negotiating position for a team when the commissioner is like, yeah, yeah, this is going to happen. It's tough. Like or we think this is going to happen. And he set the bar so high too. Like he said, 4 million this year. And so even <laughs> if it doesn't reach that, then it's still let's say 2.5 million. That's still two and a half times more than what we were expecting for the season. Yeah. Ah, God. Again, that does offer some solace. But the important thing is like, it feels like it could go up as much as like 10 million or 9 million in the next like three to four years. And those are the years, if you're the Red Wings, that you're worried about on a long-term deal, the, the back half years, the over 30 years. But if it's that much, like at the end of the day, I don't think you're sweating that at all. Like if, if the cap's going to go up by what amounts to like 12% higher than it is right now. Yeah. Uh, fine. Something I'm very curious to see is how much Eisenman sweats, you know, each hundred thousand, like how much is he willing to budge? Cause I know Julian Breezeball did quite a bit of the cap work over in Tampa Bay when they were there together. Um, and so I'm curious to see what the Red Wings structure is. And it's a, it, You'd be hard pressed to walk up to Steve Eisenman and say, "Hey, the cap's going to go up, so what's another quarter million?" He'd probably yeah. stare a hole through your skull. But uh, I'm interested to see if there's a different dynamic here than when he was in Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, to me, it's just I I can't imagine 
Okay, let's let's just throw out numbers here. These are complete bullshit numbers that I'm making up on the spot, just in, lest anybody think that this is like me trying to subtly report something. I'm just trying to game this out, right? Yeah. Let's say that Eisman wants him at eight million, eight and a quarter million, whatever. And let's say let's use the Barzal deal on the Larkin end, nine point one five million. Okay. Meet in the middle, whatever, eight point seven. No, sorry. Are you really gonna s- try to like? completely refined a number one center over 350 grand. Like I know it's going over what in theory, that number that we said on the Red Wings end would be, are you really going to sweat it? I also get the counterpoint of like, if Larkin goes to the open market, he can only get seven years. You can offer the eighth year. You got to get something for that. I get that. But at the end of the day, are you like, is either side going to let this, you could, you could do it for either side. Is either side going to let this fall apart over, 350 grand out of what close to nine million dollars like that just would be unfathomable to me yeah if let's switch tyler bertuzzi and dylan larkin and say bertuzzi was a center and producing like larkin was but he had all the context like the tough negotiations with the team in the past that still stayed i could be i would be a lot more worried but for the reasons you just stated where larkin obviously wants to stay he wants to be the captain he wants to play for his you know hometown team and and eisenman just went and spent to build a team around larkin and bertuzzi and sider and raymond he doesn't want to lose the the main centerpiece of that at center i think they i think they will meet in the middle if they get to a point where there are three four hundred thousand dollars apart a year the uncertainty of the cap going up will probably resolve that right I would, you would think, I mean, it's just so yeah. hard and I'm, I might be naive on this, right? Like I'm in my fifth year covering the NHL and I still find myself being naive on things all the time. This could be one of those times. Oh, I can't imagine the Red Wings without Dylan Larkin. I can't imagine Dylan Larkin anywhere without the Red Wings. Yeah. Like it's, it just has to happen in my head. I, maybe I'll be proven wrong on that, but it just, it just seems to me like something that has to get done. Yeah, what I always tell myself when we're really certain about something is there's a reason they're in, uh, they're negotiating contracts in the LCA and we're sitting on a split screen on my MacBook right now talking about the contracts that they're negotiating. So I thought it was because this was more lucrative. <laughs> I wish it was more lucrative. <laughs> I wouldn't be sweating so much at every menu tasting. <laughs> uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, he's come back, obviously a little bit rusty, uh, but that's to be expected. I, I don't think anyone should be hammering him for getting up to game speed after missing so much development time training camp in the start of the season, uh, or sorry, preseason. His contract has not been a peep, and I think that's been to be expected. Are we at a point now, like, am I crazy for thinking it is the most likely outcome that he is traded at the deadline? I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. Um, it's, I mean, I don't, I never know how much of this is just because, like, a guy gets hurt and you see the team without him and, you know, whatever that, you know, I, I think they missed him. Um, but you're not crazy. I mean, there's, Certainly, let me let me figure out how I want to phrase this. Like, I think Bertuzzi is very important to the Red Wings. I think you've seen that in the entirety of his career. He brings not just like the elements that everyone talks about, like the little bit of the, obviously the grit that he has, the skill, the blend of those two. He's a thirty goal scorer. I think he is really a popular guy in that locker room, and I think there's a lot of energy that he brings. Super important to the team, um, and I don't think. I don't think anyone would question any of those things. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, when you're the difference in talking about Bertuzzi and talking about Larkin is the difference between a 28 year old winger and a 26 year old center. 
uh, Bertuzzi's 27. He'll be 28 in February. Larkin will be 20. So a year and a half, whatever, but like a little bit of age and the position. And then, the, yeah, the captaincy. And, you know, if Larkin scores 80 plus points, like it looks like he might this year, then that, that's a difference too. But Larkin um, also has trade protection, Bertuzzi. And the no trade clause. That's a good point too. Um, I just think it's a different calculus. And I think if, if the Red Wings are getting close to, February and they don't have resolution with Bertuzzi. I actually think it's a little irresponsible to not at least explore what that might look like. Um, Just because in the worst case scenario, you usually can find productive wingers, not who have all the elements that Bertuzzi has, but, but it's easier to find those wingers than it is those centers. And that to me is the biggest difference, the position, a little bit of age. And to your point, then the no trade protection, I think that's a huge difference. Something that's making this calculus more complicated this year uh, is that the Red Wings are, as of right now, the time of recording, are sitting in the first wildcard spot. It is two days away from Thanksgiving, which is that arbitrary benchmark that's been set. Not, I shouldn't say arbitrary, there's this statistic attached yeah. to that, uh, which is what, 70-something, high 70s, low 80s percent mm-hmm. teams who are in a playoff spot make it at that point. The Red Wings are in the mix. It's important to note that you can go down to uh, one, two, three, four spots out of the wildcard spots, and that's only four points away from where the Red Wings are now. It's a pretty dense uh, Eastern Conference, but still the Red Wings have, I don't want to say maximized, but they've made a lot of the start to the season. So um, what do you make of this team? Is this fact fiction? Is there a little bit of overperforming here? Do you imagine coming back down to earth? What do you see coming up? Well, here's what's telling to me. I'm, I think your listeners certainly are well aware of the fact the Red Wings underlying numbers tell you that they're the standings may be a little bit of fool's gold right now. Like just in terms of the possession numbers, the expected goals numbers. Um, and I tend to agree with that. What I think is also really interesting is that every single day that we walk into that media room, Derek alone is in there practically begging us to like pay attention to those numbers and like manage our expectations. And I'm sure he's not doing this in the locker room, but he's like basically like begging us, like do not write that. Like we're this like super playoff team. I, you know, I, it's too early to buy into that for me. It wouldn't have been in Tampa. I think that's interesting that he said it, it kind of tells you that I think he still wants to be convinced that the team is, is as, um, in it is in as good a position as the standings say they are. Because when he talks about his team, he credits the things like their will. He basically is saying, like, we've battled and willed our way into this spot in this locker room. And, and this is this is the kind of stuff that he's told us like two days in a row now. Um with stuff like blocked shots and just the, the compete and all this stuff. Um but you can tell that I think he wants to see them prove it a little more. And part of that's just obviously there's a talent gap between the Red Wings and the Lightning. Nobody's ignorant of that. Um, but to me, this stretch that's coming up here, uh, these next 12 to 13 games are going to tell you so much about this team. I'm not, they may well go into American Thanksgiving. If they win a Nashville, they're going to go into American Thanksgiving in a playoff spot. I'm not going to, you know, think twice about it at that point. But it, at game 30, if they come out of this stretch where they're going to play Toronto and Vegas and Dallas and I think Carolina, um, all these teams, I think Minnesota's in there. Uh, if they come out of that and they're still in a playoff spot at 30 games, I don't know that I have a choice anymore, but, but to take that serious because you'll have done it against, you'll have survived some really good teams. It's no longer just this small fluky sample size. 30 games is 
you know, close to 40% of the season at that point. So if they get through that stretch, that's when I will take it seriously. It won't be American Thanksgiving. I'm not going to make anything of it at that point, but these next 12, 13 games are, are circled for sure as uh, they're going to tell you a lot about the Red Wings. Yeah, you'll have to buy Derek Lalona coffee if you do end up writing that article and just say sorry. <laughs> I, had to, I had to write the piece. I'll get fined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's going to be so much discourse on that. I'm not going to hang on that, that topic. There's one more thing I want to talk about. Uh, and I, I do love bringing up ways in which we were wrong. And by we, I mean the winged wheel podcast, not you, Max, but, um, the Carter Mazer draft after he was picked, there was some skepticism about the pick based on the amount of draft capital they used on him. And basically our take on it was we don't mind the player, don't mind the player type. There's a lot of comparisons to maybe a more productive helm was something that was said, but we just felt that that was maybe something that could have been had later in the draft. Um, acknowledged at the time that, you know, just get your guy is a good draft strategy and it's been proven time and time again. But we were we were wondering, is, was there really a point to using that kind of draft capital on a guy who could be a, you know, a little bit better Darren Helm? Carter Mazer is looking a lot more shades of Tyler Bertuzzi right now than Darren Helm. Yeah. And you just put out a really fantastic piece on the Athletic Detroit uh, about him. So walk us through what uh, Carter Mazer is doing with Denver in the NCAA right now. It's pretty simple scoring. I mean, he's got he's leading the NCAA in goals, 12 and 12 games, four game winners. That leads the country. You go back to the World Juniors that he played at this summer. Uh, he had five goals in five games. So his last 17 games against really good competition – uh, I'm not, he hasn't scored in literally every individual game. There's some, you know, multi-goal games in there and, and whatnot, but, um, he just keeps scoring. And what's interesting to me and kind of the focus of the article that, that I put out this week is when I think of the Carter Mazer goal, I think of it kind of as you're alluding to like this gritty around the net, you know, guy works his way in and bangs one home. Uh, look up some of these goals that he has scored. I, I put a couple in the article, but there's more. These are pure from range, beating goalies clean uh, with a wrist shot goals and or snapshot goals. Uh, it's really impressive. He's always had a shot. Like I noticed it at USA camp uh, shortly after they drafted him in 2021 uh, and they, they had him on the power play. But um, yeah, it, it's something. And he, he, he told me uh, last week that that's something he worked on. He, he knew he had that around the net element to his game and he wanted to try to add a few from range. He's already done that. Um, he's shooting 30%. That's going to go down, right? Like that tells you he's probably, uh, should have, you know, four or five fewer goals than he does, but maybe not. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe he's not going to be a 30% shooter forever, but it's college goalies. It's, it's more reasonable to expect a high level player like this to, uh, to shoot at a little higher percentage. And he's still leading his team in shots. So it's not totally fluky. Um, yeah, he's taken a step and I think he's one of the Red Wings top five prospects now which for a guy who was a third round pick a year ago, you don't say that too often. So he's really impressed me. I mean, let's try to, let's count that out. Casper and Edvinson, Edvinson won Casper, Kosa. Is there anyone that you're confident putting above Carter Mazer after that? Confident about above Carter Mazer? No, no. Like you could talk about Wallinder. You could talk about Bouillam. I Wallinder is the closest in my mind, but I think Mazer could potentially be bringing more to the table here. Although I do think Wallander's a, a a sneaky, sneaky good prospect. I think he's still flying under the radar. I think I'm going with Mazer. Like I'm not saying like you mentioned Tyler Bertuzzi. I think that's that's you know that's what you should be kind of thinking as the the prototype. I don't know if he's going to be that. Tyler Bertuzzi has a 30 goal season now in the NHL. Now like we have to remember that. The one of the guys I've been thinking of is like a Zach Hyman. Like 
can yeah. Carter and, and Zach Hyman was a guy who, you know, Carter Mazur, uh, was an overager when the Red Wings drafted him. So he's either 21 or soon to turn 21. Um, Zach Hyman took a little bit longer until he really hit the stride even than, than what Mazur has. He was an impact player right away for Denver. So that's kind of how I'm thinking of it. And if the Red Wings plucked a Zach Hyman ish player out of the third round of the draft who can play anywhere in your top nine, that's just a huge coup. And the way to think about it too is we were doing a little exercise the other day, which you always lead, which I, I have so much respect for you to, for doing, uh, but just projecting the lineups of the future. And, yeah. you know, we had some question marks next to guys who we thought, oh, you know, we don't know if they're going to make it to this level, but it's projecting out right now. And I don't think any of us had question marks next to Mazer. Like this is looking nope. like a guy, he is on track for, he's on the rails right now to the NHL. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, when is it going to be? I don't know. Like usually when a guy plays like this in college, you don't see him go back, especially when he's 21 years old, which he will be by the end of the season. Um, I think he turns pro next year. I, I don't have any inside like knowledge on that. It's just based on historical trends. That's what I would guess will happen. Whether it's Detroit or Grand Rapids, we'll see. But usually when a guy plays as well, and he has to keep it up, obviously, but plays as well as he has for what would eventually be then two years of basically point per game hockey at Denver for Carter Mazur. You usually don't see him go back for another one. Yeah. So, you know, let's say the Red Wings are able to keep Bertuzzi, which would be fantastic. He, he works out and then Mazur turns out to be shades of Tyler Bertuzzi, Zach Hyman. There are playoff teams, there are GMs who would kill to have two of those types of players on their team come postseason. Uh, and if the Red Wings end up having to deal Bertuzzi, you know, it's really nice to have an heir apparent in the lineup and the assets for whatever you can get for, for shipping up Bertuzzi. So there's, it's a good situation in terms of that player archetype coming in for the Red Wings. And one of the things that I think a couple of the commenters on my article pointed out, you know, this is something that I know you guys have, have harped on this a ton. Uh, Prashant talks about it a lot. Like at some point, it can't just be your first round picks who are turning into top six, top nine pieces for you need guys in these middle rounds, you know. Is Carter Mays or Braden Point? No. I mean, Braden Point is one of the best players in the NHL. But can he be a player who comes out of the third round and becomes like a legit, legit contributor for you and and plays a real role? Yeah, I think he can at this point. I think you can feel comfortable saying that. And that's a big win. That's one of those you needed it to happen. And in my opinion, I think you're seeing it happen right now with Carter Mazer. Well, folks, you can read the rest of that story about Carter Mazur to learn more about his path and what he's doing in the NCAA, as well as uh, Max's article, which will have dropped about uh, the offseason pickups and how they're doing for the Red Wings over on The Athletic Detroit. Max, I'm to understand that there's a pretty sweet deal right now for 12 months of The Athletic if people don't subscribe yet. Yeah, our Black Friday deal is, uh, I think, always our best one of the year. $1 a month for 12 months. You're not going to beat that. Uh, so if you want in, uh, selfishly, I'd love if you went to my Twitter and clicked on one of my links. So I get a little, uh, metric bump from that, but however you want to do it, go to theathletic.com, click on one of my colleagues stories. If you're a Lions fan, Colton Pounce, he's absolutely crushing it on that team that, uh, Ryan, I know you and I both are, are excitingly, excitedly following right now, at least until, uh, yeah. the current uh, euphoria wave washes off. So <laughs> yes, whatever that is, uh, folks, if you don't sign up through one of Max's links, Evan will go to your house and shake you by your ankles. So you absolutely have to do it that way as well. And you know, he has the funds to do that. He absolutely does. He, he's going to leave the money that Private falls in your pockets on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, Max Boltman, follow him on Twitter. M underscore Boltman, Max until next time. I hope it's not too long and, uh, enjoy the tastings. Just don't look at the bills.
Thanks, buddy. That's that's good advice. Joked with Max that uh, we should call his segments because we have Max on regularly enough. Um, it should be a recurring segment, and we need a name for it. So, like, I don't know, beers with Boltman, breakfast with Boltman. That's a nice little callback. But with Prashanth, it's absolutely it absolutely has to be expected by whom with Prashanth Iyer, right? <laughs> Listening back and editing the uh, live show and just hearing Prashanth work with Mick on describing analytics and telling him, you guys have to go listen to, to the live show just for that conversation where Mick is railing against, not against analytics, but talking about how confounding it is. And it's like, wow, what, what do you mean the computer watches the game? And Prashanth is, is doing his best. Oh man. Uh, it's good. It's, it's really worth listening to. And I appreciate both of those, those guys so much. So yeah, maybe beers with Boltman and uh, expected by whom with Prashanth Iyer. You know recording late is bad for this show because then you're at, the show's at the mercy of my brain. Last episode, we had an excellent opportunity to bring up the fact that through his first 100 games, Lucas Raymond scored 69 points. I had it in my notes. It was in front of me. was meant, meant to call it out right at the start of the show, and I didn't because I'm an idiot. And now as I'm raising it, Evan's not even here to enjoy it. That's not nice. That's not nice. But what is 69 points through his first 100 games? Good on you. Nice. Lucas Raymond. All right. Uh, some quick NHL news uh, to wrap up here. Um, extremely saddened to hear of the uh, passing of Borja Salming. Um, it is just so heartbreaking how quickly after his ALS diagnosis uh, he passed. He was 71 years old and... You know, it's a tragic disease and it's a massive, massive loss for the hockey community. But I am so happy and passionate about the fact that he was able to see all of the love and appreciation Toronto and the hockey world has for him um, in that ceremony in Toronto just recently. So uh, obviously it's so, so terrible that, you know, he passed so quickly and uh, an NHL legend is gone, but you could see how much that moment meant to him and how much it meant to hockey fans everywhere. So, um, yeah, our thoughts with, uh, with Borea's uh, family and, and loved ones. And yeah, it's a big loss for the hockey community. The devils, their streak is over. <laughs> Some kind of fashion, three goals called back and a whole lot of garbage on the ice, which just put it out there. If you're at a hockey game, the only appropriate things to throw on the ice are hats for a hat trick or octopi, octopodes, octopuses, whatever. If you're at a Red Wings game, home or away, I I've, I've firmly respect the away fan who gets an octopus on the ice. Um, don't throw garbage on the ice, especially don't throw full beers. But three goals called back. The Devils' legendary streak is over. Yeah. That's not the way you want to see that happen. Hold on, I gotta backtrack a bit here. I just I have to take the obvious joke. It's there. I can't let it slide. There's no need to throw garbage on the ice when the Toronto Maple Leafs are already there. Anyways, <laughs> as you were. Evan would have been on top of that. We really do suffer with I that was him. on top of it. Don't don't dismiss me. Here no, I am, he and it, I was ready, locked and loaded, waited for you to finish talking. No, no, Evan would have cut me off. That's what he's uh, meant. Yeah, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. 
that's what we you and I have a cadence and Evan just decides. He's like, no, <laughs> I'm an, I'm done with you two talking and he'll just jump in. Yeah, your points run its course. Shut up now. <laughs> it's funny because watching those um those goals called back to the worst part is I think they were all correct. They were. They were. I was trying like you know how angry I get over reviews and all this stuff. It's it's hard to get angry when they're correct. Yeah. And they're obviously correct. But still, God, I hate this. Actually, do you know what happened? Um, I was watching, to, just while we're on the topic of reviews, the end of the Philly-Washington game last night. I was yeah. I watched the last 10 minutes plus the overtime of that one. I saw the perfect example of what one of the things I was talking about, why I hate offside reviews. And it wasn't, it had nothing, there was no review. So there was a play, and anybody who watched the game, it was a huge moment. Philly was winning 2-1. Um, Sonny Milano and, and TJ Oshie come down the ice. TJ Oshie accepts a pass at the blue line that looks that looked offside in real time. And then he puts a pass over to Sonny Milano who splits the D, scores the tying goal. Two and a half minutes left in the game. Huge moment. Crowds fired up. Just like the ultimate hockey like type of like energy, adrenaline. You know what yeah. I mean? The next two minutes was just the broadcast talking about if it was offside and showing replays of the offside, not really talking about the goal, not really talking about the moment. It was onside. <laughs> oh, the puck crossed the line before Oshie skate. It was a good goal the whole time, but how many people were really, truly enjoying that moment? Well, I feel like we've had a lot of offside discourse. Maybe we should make a spinoff podcast purely about the offside rule until the NHL gets it shit together and gets rid of it entirely. <laughs> I'm going to continue railing against it because it's stupid. Uh, I don't have the energy to argue with you today and I'm afraid of what lion's insults you're going to come up with for me. So uh, instead I'm going to bring us over to overtime because we've talked about who. So we've talked about the game, Heronic staying hot, Larkin still producing playoff opportunities in our interview with Max. So now let's hear from our, Listeners are supporters. So overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, become a member of the so-called dub dub club. You get access to the Patreon exclusive uh, overtime episodes that we record right after these. Uh, you get access to every single giveaway we do. Patrons are automatically entered. Uh, we have two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and we give most of them away directly to patrons. There's a giveaway happening right now. I'm going to draw the winner right after we're done recording uh, and a ton of other benefits, the discord. Uh, it's a really, really wonderful community and it helps. Th it's the lifeline for the show. It's, it's the heartbeat of the show. So thank you to all patrons who support uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Uh, first question here is from, let's say Sean trainer says, happy Thanksgiving guys. My question is this a few episodes ago, you guys said that the Red Wings don't have the raw talent right now to compete with high end teams in the league the Bostons, Lightnings, Maple Leafs, etc. With that said, where do you think that talent will come from? Right now, I see Cider, Raymond, and Larkin as being the closest to us achieving that, but looking at our prospect pool, I don't see anyone close to a Crosby, Matthews, McDavid, McCarr, etc. The, the elite players needed to contend. Is that just a result of not having a top three pick? Needing to wait for players to develop more luck or a combo of those things. As always, thanks for the show. Love listening to you guys and Winged Wheel Podcast Night sounded like a great time. Wish I could have been there. I'm in a good mood, so I don't really feel like giving an honest answer to this one. 
this is the biggest problem facing the Red Wings rebuild right now. They've yeah. done everything else right. Their system is deep. There is a lot of really good players. There's a lot of really good players on the roster now, and they have solved a lot of problems and plugged a lot of holes. They don't have that elite talent anywhere in the system right now. Edmondson's probably going to be really good. Uh, he's probably not winning Norris's. Marco Casper's going to be really good. He's probably not your franchise centerman if you're winning a Stanley Cup. Larkin's playing way better than people are giving him credit for, so that could be the answer. I think Cider and Raymond still have steps they could take in their development. The answer is, where's that talent coming from? Um, I don't know. There is no good one. It could be trade. It could be free agency. Maybe they get just damn lucky in a draft. But it's a huge question that they don't have an answer to right now. I think if the Red Wings are to pull this off, they're going to have to go the less conventional way a la St. Louis in 2019. Yeah. So I was thinking they need a Ryan O'Reilly type. They need Edvinson to pan out. And they I think need... Larkin could fill the O'Reilly role. No, I mean, in addition to Larkin. Casper, if we're really lucky. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. So if you get two Dylan Larkins, I can see a path. But that is also Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider have to hit their, like, absolute ceilings. And they need a Bennington, like, postseason from that goalie. They need Verona to come back, yep. you know, feeling great, contributing. They need, you know, Kubalik to maybe be, like... A lot has to go right. Don't ever underestimate how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup. I think the Red Wings, as far as the rebuild has gone, have done everything they need to do and are in a position where in the very near future, this should be a perennial playoff team. I, I think they have accomplished that. Uh, you can see the pieces. You can see yeah. what the core of this team is going to look like. And based on what we've seen in the minors and in the NHL right now, that core should be able to be a playoff competitive team. But it's a big difference being a team that makes it to the first, second round every year than a team that wins the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Jeremy Dahl says, uh, well, we're looking decent, boys. How much will Bertuzzi's really slow start hurt any trade value? If anything, this looks like the Wings may keep him as he won't be as much to sign. Then the question is, do you sign Bertuzzi long-term with his injury history and can he bounce back later? Man, I'm in a good mood, guys. Uh, <laughs> does this... If he maintains this level of play, does it affect trade value? Yes. Does it make him cheaper to sign? Not if he has a good agent, which Bertuzzi is not afraid to fight to the nail for his contracts. We've seen that. Um, it complicates things. Can he bounce back? Yeah, I would actually bet on it. I don't think we're going to see, as long as he stays healthy, which is the actual biggest question, I don't think what the Bertuzzi we see now is the Bertuzzi we're going to be seeing in a month or two months or whatever. And like, you know, think about what Max talked about in that interview. Cops core surgery is probably way more impactful than people are giving it credit for. Surgeries in general are, you don't just, just because you're back in the lineup doesn't mean you're playing as you were. Brad, you injure yourself a lot. Yes. How long did it take you after your shoulder separation to really be back at hundred percent? It's still not right. It's been three years and you know, I, it flared up literally two weeks ago. I'm, I'm dealing with it right now. Like it's some injuries never you're never fully right again. And I give Brad, like we, Evan and I rib Brad a lot, you know, calling dust old, ancient, practically in the grave, decrepit, um, you know. All true. A whisper, 
a pre-ghost, whatever you want to call it, a hobbit. That one's out of line, but you know, had to get it in there. But genuinely, Brad's in great shape. And Brad had like, you know, physically and in terms of uh, like athletic shape, like Brad stays in great shape. Brad is about as athletic of a, an average Joe as you're going to find. And he's still, his lingering injuries get to him. So proper recovery is tough. The pro level, they have more tools or obviously in better shape than Brad. No offense. Uh, but yeah, give me access to an athletic trainer seven days a week. And I feel like my injuries might recover a little better, you'd but, be a little better, but yeah. at the same time, it's, it's a body's a body and you need to do it right. So all that and, to say, and mine was a shoulder. Bert's was a, back Burt's is back broken uh, hand not worried wrist. about the hand a hand bones heal it's it's always going to be the back with Bert is going to be the big question yeah. uh okay wildcat dallas drake says happy thanksgiving i appreciate your podcast way of talking about hockey without making me feel stupid uh, it's helped me enjoy all hockey even more not just the red wings that means a lot so thank you says huso's really huso really won last night's game with some very key saves especially during the five on three uh, the Wings didn't seem to dominate the five-on-five five play, even though they scored. If Huso has an average December, do you think the Wings can still grab a couple wins? Couple wins, yeah. They have a couple Ottawa games in there. Um, three Ottawa games actually in December. Holy, play Ottawa three times. Yeah, seventeenth, twenty-third, and thirty-first. A lot of holiday games. Um, you have a Buffalo in there. They they should be able to walk away. But if you're talking in a in a month with. 5, 8, 11, 14 games. We're only talking about a couple of wins then. Yeah. If they come out of this month 500 or better, I think we should probably be happy with that. Yep. Upper East Cider says, dumb question. Why is it that the wings don't start with their first line on the ice? Do other teams do this? Matchups. I think the road team sets their lineup first and then the home team is allowed to then counter that however they want. So yeah, yeah. If if Detroit's looking for a matchup like, you know, last night Rasmussen against, you know, the Philip Forsberg line or, or whatever the hell it is, you'll see that sometimes. Other times there's little things going on behind the scenes that fans will will never, ever know about. Like, you know, I know even for my team, if, you know, someone's family comes out to watch a game, they'll start that guy's line just because well, his family's there, you know, whatever. It's fun. It's neat. It's nice. Uh, Large Thorzell says with the passing of Swedish legend Borje Salming from ALS, it's fitting that we take time to salute him for paving the way and setting a standard for Swedes in particular and Europeans in general in the NHL. Tommy Bergman uh, might have been the first, but Borje Salming was the one who opened North American eyes to uh, what was just across the sea. Without, Bo- without Borje, the NHL would have been so much lesser and who knows if there ever would have been the likes of Lidstrom, Cronwall, etc. and the Red Wings. He stayed humble and friendly all through his successes and genuinely took his time with anyone who came to him. Even though he only played the one season for the Red Wings, we should all be thankful for what he did. For the NHL and count ourselves lucky that he wore the winged wheel for a while. Rest in peace, King Borier. Large, very well said. Thank you for that. All right, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We want to thank all of you for listening. New listeners and old, we really, really, really appreciate you. Um, The sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, uh, everyone who has supported either through the silent auction or by buying tickets, I hope to see you all there at uh, Hot Stove Stories with Mick and Ken in your support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, all of our patrons, our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Ake Fur, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver, the number 69, Cry and Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, 
Glenn Brabham. Glenn, good to see you, buddy, and welcome to the DevDev Club. Thank you so much for being a name-level sponsor. Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Brandon M., Carl Brutinen-Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evan Lob Singing, Mash Bringing, Hash Slinging, Slasher, uh, Philip Zadino, the Prophet of the Second Pair, Right D, Philip Ronick, Give Blood Fight, Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, uh, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nedelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Sea Wolf, who's a brand new name level sponsor. Thank you so much for your support. The Podcasting Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, uh, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, uh, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W, Philip Zadiz Nuts. Hi, I'll have an order of a large fries uh, and a pizza with two eyes. Also, maybe a win. Ronix Handlebar, James James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S. Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Oophelia, Papa Woody, Puse and the Loose. Reed, Bal- Reed Baldwin on behalf of the Reed Baldwin Foundation, Thick Rick, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.